Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr, where every single Wednesday I interview a different Olympic champion, world champion, world record holder or former world number one to find out what they do to become the very best in their fields. They could be cricket players, rugby players, footballers, sprinters, cyclists, rowers, you name it, we've had them on this show and there are so many more great people that we will continue to learn from on The Best in the World. This week's guest, I am delighted to say, is the Olympic champion cyclist Katie Archibald, part of the Great Britain team that won the team pursuit at the Rio 2016 Olympics. I got to speak to Katie about six weeks ago in November before the busy Christmas period and we cover a whole load of things including how she likes to relax, so things like movies and books. We talk about what she could perhaps do when she finishes being a cyclist. Maybe she could be going to university. We talk about that, what exactly she gave up at university to continue her dream of becoming a champion cyclist. We talk about how she took up the sport relatively late and in fact enjoyed swimming and was a pretty decent swimmer and we talk about the success of her family she comes from a great lineage of fantastic sports stars i really enjoyed this chat with katie it's a bit different to some of the other interviews we've had i can't really put my finger on it but i think when you listen back to it you'll you'll see what i mean really great girl really fun chat really open conversation and I think this was a refreshing chat with Katie definitely one we can all learn from so we can improve our everyday lives just before we get to the interview I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by the sports breakfast show Sportachino it is live every single weekday morning from 8 GMT it's streamed live on Facebook YouTube and Periscope all at the same time. So there's no excuse for you to miss it if you've got one of those social media channels. We discuss all different types of things from sports, health, fitness, nutrition, and travel. And I say we because I am the presenter of Sportachino. Come and check us out. Let me know what you think. 
We're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Sportachino, and it's at Sportachino on all of the other handles for Instagram, for Twitter, for Periscope, and all that jazz. So check out Sportachino. They are today's sponsor. All right, let's get on with the show. Let's get on from learning from the very best in the world, the Olympic cycling champion, Katie Archibald. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Katie Archibald, Olympic gold medalist, world record holder in cycling team pursuit. Welcome to the best in the world. Now, it's been an unfortunate few couple of weeks. That's right, isn't it? You, you've had a bit of an injury. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a bit crap to be honest. It's been, um, been confusing, actually, because, uh, well, uh, well I've, I crashed on a race, basically, um, at Glasgow World Cup, which is the first, first round of the World Cup series. And... Uh, um, it was in a Madison race and, and me and my partner actually went on to win the race. So, um, well, obviously this was before I'd, uh, realized that I'd broken my wrist. Did I say that? I've, yeah, I've, I'm maybe going slightly nuts, stuck inside a lot now. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, so it was actually like, it's the happiest that I've ever been with a broken wrist, if I'm honest. Um, and we've, I don't know, it was kind of weird to be on such a high with the, the race win. Um, yeah, it kind of led to, well, so far a fortnight of um lows i suppose uh but yeah it's been a case of kind of acknowledging those contradictions and and getting on with the day-to-day mm. and it's not the first time you've you've had some injuries and some crashes that they've happened before right um well, well my line is that this is the first time i've uh, <clears throat> seriously injured myself on on my push bike so Anytime I've had a bike crash before, which has been loads, I guess that's that's the sport. Um, and uh, I assume what you're referring to <laughs> is, uh, yeah, I did. I crashed my motorbike last winter. So this does feel slightly reminiscent of that um, in terms of, uh, like, I started taking up walking because I wasn't allowed on the, the turbo for seven days. And that was what my rehab was last last year. I'd uh, uh, ruptured my posterior cruciate ligament and uh, fractured my elbow. So... This is a lot better. Like my legs, my legs are okay, um, and it's just it's just my wrist, not my elbow. So I can, well, actually, no. I guess it's pretty much the same. Um, but yeah, so I guess it is it is a bad habit. But I think uh, I think I'm going to be ready for the the next the next couple of World Cups, which but they don't come till February. So I don't, I don't see this making as bigger dent as as last time. You said about your motorcycle injury. Now, obviously. Uh, I believe it was a crash at about 70 miles an hour. Now, that can probably be scary enough, but was it more scary, the thought that this could potentially affect you being at the Rio Olympics? Um, well, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't have the sense for that. I think it's a, it's a cyclist habit that um, you kind of, you get up and you try and get back on your bike. And I wasn't in a race, obviously. I wasn't. Um, <laughs> and uh, at the time, I, I was preoccupied with, we had, um, again, it was a, a round of the World Cup was in maybe two and a half weeks I think it was um at that point and that was my main main occupation at the time I guess with a link to the Olympics because um I hadn't been um I hadn't been selected for any of the qualifying lineups in the the races that we had a couple races just before that um and I knew that I was this I guess it sounds like a stupid sob story but I was going really well (laughs) I knew I was going really well and I was really looking forward to being able to uh sort of like prove myself in a race um 
yeah, so that was my immediate thought. And then it went to the World Championships, which were three months away. Um, and well, it was in so it was in December, and the Olympics were in August. And well, I knew that I stood up right afterwards, so I figured I didn't. Yeah, I just didn't. I didn't have the sense to see that 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 was in jeopardy. Um, and it took a lot of X-rays and MRI scans for somebody to sort of shove it in my face and say, "Listen, you like you can you can barely walk. Or you're not gonna uh, you're not gonna come jumping out of here." So um, yeah, but luckily, I guess can ruin the, the end of the story like no that I did make it to Olympics in the end but no I didn't make it to that World Cup and I didn't make it to those World Championships so that's that's still I guess a, a bit of a pain for last season mm, well it is it is a happy story in the end and we'll get into more about Rio in just a moment you mentioned about going a little bit nuts recently how do you normally take away that boredom what do you normally do to try and stay relaxed and, and when you aren't able to train what do you like to do um I guess the, the trick to, uh, yeah, <laughs> avoid manic behavior, <laughs> I reckon, is routine. Um, so you've got to, I don't know, um, you've got to pretend that you do have a, a purpose outside of cycling. And uh, I guess I like to pretend that mine's writing, but um, it's another thing that kind of comes um, sporadically rather than uh, with any kind of set schedule. Um, so if anything, I guess it maybe exacerbates those uh those swings around emotionally um but uh yeah i know i guess um the the similar habits of all cyclists that you'll you'll find they, they've always got a tv series on the go or maybe maybe it's just track cyclists i don't know i guess roadies are uh, out sunbathing all day aren't they but yeah we'll always have a tv series on the go and, and usually a good book because they're either yeah i guess there's a lot of recommended feet up time not to yeah not to brag about it it's, um, it's not always a hard life. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your recommended book and recommended TV series then? Um, oh, well, actually, the book I'm reading at the moment, uh, I, it's not really a recommendation. I, I think I can say it in a podcast because it's a, it's a name. So it's called I Love Dick. It's taken a, like a bit of a um, – what's what it's been revived, I suppose, of late as a sort of cult classic and, oh, I'm hating it. <laughs> uh, I can, yeah, someone recommended it. Someone – I guess I'd respect and I really want to be able to talk about it with them but I'm, I'm honestly I'm forcing myself through it it's just so pretentious I can't but yeah and I can tell that I'm maybe not maybe I'm not smart enough to to engage with it maybe that's what it is I'm not sure um so yeah so instead well I've got my favorite books so um the hundred year old man that climbed out of the window and disappeared I always that's always a comfort in fact there's a, there's a couple other Jonas Jonasson books that um I guess take a similar similar theme that are quite fun. Um, Catch twenty two. Um, oh, all the Hitchhiker books. In fact, Douglas Adams like the Derek Gently series as well. Um, but um, yeah, I'm actually late to the party. I've only just started reading Harry Potter. Um, oh wow! I know. Like people, are, yeah, I always roll their eyes and go, "Well, you can't be a fan now." Like I've definitely missed the boat. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just oh, I hated it when I was a kid. I don't know why. As it's hardly a rebellion not reading Harry Potter. But uh, yeah, my teammate Joanna Russell, Joanna Russell Shan, sorry, um, is a super mega fan. And she lent me the first book on camp uh, like a few months ago. So I'm sort of, whenever I'm away on a away on a journey, bring out a Harry Potter book. Oh, fantastic. And and TV series? Mm. Well, actually, another one that I hate, <laughs> but for some reason <laughs> I've watched loads of. I got into scandals. So, um, you know, our Sky sponsor British Cycling. Yeah. So uh, 
we've actually, I guess it, oh, they'll take our tellies away in December. But at the moment, all the British cycling athletes have Sky Television in the house. And um, surely, with your success, they can't take away your Sky. You can't take away our Sky. I know, <laughs> outrageous. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they're gonna. I I've, I've got some friends there. I'll, I'll have a word. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I guess, yeah, and we'll, we'll advertise it now and see, see what happens. But uh, I've started watching, well, I started watching Scandal. Have you heard of it? It's, um, it's this really weird uh, American drama um, around around the White House, sort of, sort of political drama, um, in which somehow the Republicans are the good guys. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's just like really powerful dialogue after they really, like, there's no real moments. And I spend the whole time just screaming at the television going, this, like, this isn't real life. And uh, <laughs> for some reason, I've made it through about, I think four seasons, so um, don't watch that. I don't recommend that. I, I find that with anything with Aaron Sorkin, where it's it's just lots of lots of fast speaking dialogue, and they, they did one um, called the Newsroom around a TV newsroom, and I've obviously worked in a TV newsroom, and I was like, no one talks like this. We speak a lot oh. more simply. We don't <laughs> speak anywhere near as fast as this. Uh, so, oh, actually, do you know what breaks my heart? Um, actually, I re- well, I really like it. Well, I love Cat Moran and um, her TV show Raised by Wolves, I think is so guilty of that. Like I kind of like I, I like it because I guess I like them. But um, yeah, every every sentence is a punchline. You can tell that if it's been written down in a script, you would have been sort of rolling over laughing. But when it comes out, I don't know, mm. when it comes out on screen, it is really sort of jilted, I think. Um, but yeah, still hilarious. But you can just tell, I don't know, it's like you can see the act, which is maybe maybe being a bit fussy and um, insisting that everything's got to seem real. But and this is all the things you normally do in your downtime. But what about building up to a big race? Is there any kind of music you read? Are there any passages of any books or any poems? Or is there anything you kind of do to to help g yourself up or to concentrate on the task coming up? Yeah, I guess like on. On actual race day, um, I, I usually always listen to a, a podcast to try and get me to sleep, actually, which is why it's really bad. I'd, I'd never actually, um, I'd never listened to any of yours, so I will, I'll, I'll add it to the list, but I guess you'll be insulted in a second because well, I listen to them to try to get me to fall asleep. Well, so you exactly. need something the, the, um, this will keep yeah. you awake. This should be what you start your day <laughs> yeah, with, Katie. You'd be like, I want to start the day by learning about the best in the world. This is how I'm going to start it with my breakfast. That's what you yeah. need to do. No, it, <laughs> It is stupid. It's the kind of thing that, um, honestly, about three years ago, I'd be obsessed with any anything that I could, uh, like any race I'd watch or any interview with, say, like Laura or, or Danny King or whatever. I'd, I'd want to know exactly what they're doing in a really kind of creepy, obsessive way. But now that I'm actually part of that world, it's it's kind of a shame to have lost that um, lost that hobby, I suppose, because I, I end up getting stressed if I read about other cyclists and end up um, getting confused if I listen to other, like uh, if you consume, sort of surround yourself with too much to do with um i guess the elite sporting world it yeah it really stresses me out so yeah a shame that i've lost that part of my life since it's become a career um but uh it does um yeah i guess okay i might i might get back into it we'll see we'll see (laughs) um but you know on on race days and things it is because it's that panic it's when you're lying in bed that you're stressed and thinking um like oh is it gonna go this way is it gonna go that way like what what are my legs gonna feel like um how am I, yeah, what, I would just never fall asleep and I feel like this for the next 12 hours and, well, how's the race going to go then? So you need something that's stimulating enough that you are actually paying attention, but not so much that you can fall asleep to it. That's, a, yeah, the perfect middle ground. Um, yeah, and, and and actually, well, I guess I'd end up going and lots of my favourite podcasts if I said that 
that's what I use them for. So <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I won't do that. <laughs> No, no, no point uh, upsetting anyone on, on today's show. <laughs> um, so, tell us a bit more about your actual uh, race day routine. Like, what what kind of things would you normally do? You have any superstitions? Would you put any socks on first? Like left foot, right foot? Is there anything in particular you do or say or act on a, on uh, a race no. day? Yeah, no, I'm the ultimate. Uh, is there a, a is there a, like a, an opposite of super? I don't know. Laura is madly like that like the whole we'll stand on a wet towel or, um lucky numbers number seven and so she she needs a, a number to some way have some calculation to be linked to the number seven um like we'll follow lots of little routines she's got her uh she's got a stupid amount of lucky mascots in her bag actually <laughs> because um i think she'll get given one and think like if, if it ends up with her on a certain race day that goes well well that's it that that cuddly toy is now stuck it's gonna have to come <laughs> with us forever um so I don't know why I must be a horrible person, but I feel like my role is to be the opposite of that. So um, <laughs> no, you can't. Not allowed to get uh, not allowed to get hooked on any superstitions. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. More from Katie in just a moment, but I want to tell you that today's show is also brought to you by Audible. Audible is one of the leading suppliers of audiobooks in the world. It's a product I personally use. I love listening to audiobooks, whether I'm on public transport, whether I'm in the gym, whether I'm going for a run. I love listening and learning on audiobooks. They've got over 180,000 titles to choose from. Most recently, I listened to The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Interesting book, quite short, about four hours. I was able to speed through it. And what's great about Audible is you can actually speed up the pace of the listen. So, for example, it was Jeremy Irons was the voiceover for it, but I put him at one and a half speed and I was able to listen to a four-hour audiobook in three hours. Look at that, I'm cramming in the learning. What a smart idea that is. And you can do the same because Audible are offering a free 30-day trial and that includes one free download. All you've got to do is go to this website address, Get your pens and paper at the ready. It's audibletrial.com forward slash best. 
all right, get the notes page on your mobile phone because that's what most of us do. It's audibletrial.com forward slash best. That is today's sponsor. Please go and check them out. Over 180,000 titles to choose from. Really great learning at your fingertips. Speaking about great learning, we will continue to do that next with Katie Archibald. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. And you, you said you used to listen to kind of lots of podcasts and interviews and things where you would look up to to other athletes. What kind of things did you you think you really learned from them? Were really able to bring in into your success? Oh, that's interesting, actually. Yeah, um, like has it actually been useful that mm. that obsession? Um, I think uh, when I was when I was starting to get good, I guess my main um, my main interest was the uh, the top Scottish riders. So because I'd I'd kind of I'd see them around, like I'd realise that they were uh, almost at this accessible point, just because you know they came from the same place you came from. So people like Eileen Rowe, Charlene Joyner, um, Kaylee Brogan, who, who doesn't actually ride anymore, but um, they'd, uh, I guess, they'd have a good laugh. And I think it was that that communication that they were always, uh, I know that they were always talking to each other, I know that they were always kind of um, taking tips off each other. And I think that's that important, the, um, the fact that you've got to make these relationships to benefit everybody. So... Um, you can be sat in your garage training on a turbo thinking that you're putting in a lot of work, but if you've not, I don't know, got the smarts to see that it's a good idea to put some gym work in, or maybe somebody tells you like, oh, you're looking a bit tired, maybe just step off a bit, or um, just like having these uh, encounters that open your eyes to to new things about your training, about your racing, about all sorts of um, technique and and protocols that you're just, you're not going to learn obsessing yourself on the internet I don't think um like it, it does take being at your local club and um having these conversations so yeah I think that's and I guess the and the natural way that you get there is just by having a good time it is by having having friends in the cycling world and I almost I guess envied their uh yeah their their social group of elite women cycling <laughs> so I th- yeah I think that counts as a, a useful thing to have learned mm, yeah definitely so who are some of the people who, who've helped you the most would you say um, well, the thing that keeps me up at night and terrifies me about how much help they've given me is um, a chap called Alistair Watson who runs uh, runs the racers. Um, they're uh, an Edinburgh-based club, so they used to be called the Edinburgh Racers. And uh, they've um, basically, I turned up to Meadowbank Track one day and uh, Alistair lent me a bike, shoved me up there. In hindsight, I suppose probably an, yeah, outrageously dangerous, actually. But um, <laughs> And... Uh, yeah, and said, literally after I think I maybe came back again a, a few times and uh, he wasn't, he didn't sort of push me to say like, do you want to be good at this? Like, is this something you're committed to? He's just like, are you having a good time? And I say, yeah, yeah I'm having a good time. And um, he sort of makes out now that he, he always knew there was something, there was something good going on, but how much, <laughs> you can never tell how true that is. But honestly, the amount of uh, time and equipment and um, advice that he gave me for maybe the first two years of my career were all just, um, well, it wasn't until I got in the British cycling program that I gave Alistair back his track back. I'd been using it. So in, until I got to a point where I'd, uh, 
received lottery funding and could go full time as a cyclist. And all that time, I'd still been using his using his train rings and his sprockets, which I guess I'm embarrassed for. Me. But uh, <laughs> honestly, the, yeah, ev- everything that I learned about trying to get into being a, a track racer <clears throat> for those first couple of seasons, um, they did come from from Alistair and his, his son Callum. So, yeah, that yeah, it scares me that um, I guess I'm certainly not contributing back to the second community in that way. Um, I guess it's it's a time in your life, maybe, that once you, I guess, yeah, once I'm not training myself, I'd certainly love to be to be able to do for somebody what Elsa did for me. Yeah, and I'm sure there's lots of time for you to do that because you're, you're still young. And, and we could talk a little bit more about what you might want to do after cycling a little bit later. But you, you actually took the sport up comparatively late, in I believe in, in 2011 when, when you, you took it up competitively. Were you, mm-hmm. was it... Did it just come natural to you? Was you just really good, really quickly? And 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 if so, where do you think you had that the skill set from? Was there anything else you did earlier in your life which you think helped? I almost get kind of down about this because I've actually I've seen interviews before where even my teammates will be like, "Yeah, and she only took it up like eighteen months ago." I've even heard somebody say like, "Yeah, she only rode a bike for the first time like age sixteen or something," which is just mad. <laughs> like, hmm. like I've been, oh, I've been. I've been cycling all my life, but I was uh, when I was a, a kid, I was a swimmer. And I guess anyone that swum knows that that just consumes everything that you do. Like I used to keep this list of uh, chronologically, you could see all the other sports. I would slowly, slowly quit as swimming training just ramped up and up and up. Like, yeah, I used to go to gymnastics and ballet and, and trampoline and, and hockey is actually the only one that, that stayed throughout that. And I just used my bike eventually for getting from A to B, whether it's like cycling to swimming training or cycling to hockey training. Um, but no, even like, like we went on our first touring holiday technically when I was seven years old. It's been like, it's, it's been a, a family pursuit since, well, since I could ride a bike. And I guess that means that it's been hideously competitive <laughs> since I could ride a bike um, uh, with my, so my big brother and my dad. Uh, so I, I'd like to think that I guess in the same way that like if somebody did a running race for the first time, um, age 16, I guess it's less tactical. And so <clears throat> oh, I'm going to get loads of abuse now, eh? but I think it's less tactical than a bike race. That is my belief. I'm afraid. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, but yeah, but nobody would question. So because of that, everyone would be like, Oh, well, I guess if you've been training as a runner your whole life, then sure. We'd expect you to, to be all right. Um, and what I came through with in 2012 at junior nationals was a pursuit. And, uh, that's just a case of going hard um, at the, well, for juniors, it's, it's two kilometers. So yeah, I was, I was the best at, at that time um, in this two kilometer pursuit. And I got a silver medal in the points race, which I rode like an idiot. Like I, I was, I was off the front for the whole race, basically not interacting with the, the bunch at all. So I, I guess I did have a, a lot of learning to be doing um, in, in those early years, because I guess I trained the engine and, and not my head. But because of that, I think I had a bit of a, a chip on my shoulder, I suppose, or a lot of paranoia that I wanted to be technically excellent. I wanted to be smart. Um, and I wanted to show that I, like I could be an enticing, um, exciting bike racer. And so I think, yeah, I guess I, I put a lot of hard work into that as a project, um, which has maybe been a benefit that I could do that age 16 rather than, um, age 12 or 11. If, I don't know if people end up getting into bad habits. That's probably not true. They've probably just got a sixth sense for it that, I don't know, maybe I'll never have, but um, yeah, I like to think that I'm now, now a position where I've given up on saying, oh, and you, you've, you've 
come to it relatively early uh sorry relatively late so um yeah i guess i'm, I'm ditching the tag is what i'm doing <laughs> okay fair enough but your your whole family are, are all pretty talented athletes aren't they oh it's funny actually yeah so i've been living in manchester the last three years and just moved back to glasgow and i was at track league a few weeks ago um and I was still John Archibald's little sister because um, <laughs> he's now like the, the big name of the Scottish cycling, Scottish cycling scene. He doesn't actually ride the track, which is what we're all trying to convince him to do. Um, but yeah, I think he's uh, a fairly formidable force up here with the road racing. Um, and my, yeah, my sister, uh, well, she's my half sister. So Rosie Smith is a uh, sort of top, top cross country runner. Um, I've actually met, I've again met people before that have been like, no way, you're Rosie's sister because, well, I can describe me actually. So at the moment, I'm I'm quite sweaty. I'm still in my shorts. Um, I'd say I'm I'm not chunky, but there's there's like, no, I'm chunky. I'm quite chunky, but it's a powerful chunky. And my sister is uh, just one of those runners where it's not that she's really muscular. She's just all bone. Like I don't know how she moves. I, like I th- she just floats. There's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing holding her onto the ground. Like I can't see any muscle. I can't see any fat. She's just all bone. <laughs> so yeah, we're quite. We're quite a contrast. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's been it's been remarked on before, and I've not taken it very well, if I'm honest. <laughs> but um, yeah, my my dad uh, my dad was a runner, and um, my mother was the supplier of mitochondria. So she feels very proud as well. Wow. Yeah, incredible talent there. So let's talk about Rio. Your first Olympic Games, is that right? Mm-hmm. How, apart from actually the huge success, which we'll get onto, how was just the experience of being there to begin with? Oh, is that, oh it's, it was daunting from the first moment that we stepped in the village because um, I'd been to Commonwealth Games in Glasgow and, um, well, just sort of driven the 20 minutes down the road to get there kind of thing, not a not a massive long haul flight. And um, it was just so big. You would not believe how many athletes compete in an Olympic Games. It, it was, well, I guess obviously it's, it's a little village, but it was. It was a fairly major village, I would have said. Yeah, I could have. Um, <laughs> and uh, I guess I found that kind of... Um, I guess, yeah, you end up reflecting the fact that you've been obsessing over your own performance and um, getting yourself in, in peak condition and just assuming that this is the biggest thing in the world because, well, it was. That was um, everything that consumed my sort of day-to-day life for the last the last two years and uh, suddenly realised that there's actually a thousand other people um, doing the exact same thing <laughs> when you've kind of, I don't know, you get uh, almost a bit self-obsessed, I suppose. Um so yeah, so that that was interesting to to realise. But other than that, um, well, our, our competition was right in the middle of the game, so we got to kind of experience the build-up and the excitement as Team GB people were winning medals, but still had quite a lot of time to celebrate afterwards. Like I stayed all the way to the closing ceremony, um, so I had ten days in Rio of just uh, being a, a mega fan. I think a bit of a tourist, mm-hmm. so that was quite cool. What did you get to see? Um, oh, we did all the classics. So climbed up to Christ the Redeemer and uh, got to see his big toe and a little bit of his ankle because it was quite cloudy. Um, it was very cloudy actually. Oh, I'm so glad we walked. It was it was so busy. Like considering that you you honestly couldn't see the guy. Like the wind would occasionally blow and maybe you'd, you'd see a little bit. But um, but yeah, and I did all uh, Christ the Redeemer, Sugarloaf, um, sort of eating from food carts and whatnot, and. Uh, I guess with the, um, I've just realized 10 minutes into that rant that you mean 
what races that I get to see because that's what a sports person would be interested in. I'm I'm that. I'm in, I'm enjoying your your holiday postcards right now. It's fine. I've never been. I wanted to go. I, I couldn't make it, but I'm now imagining myself there at Sugarloaf. So it's it's all yeah. good. To con, con, continue with your with your photo oh, so, book, yeah. please. <laughs> no, no, I did. I did get to see some. Um, actually, the best thing I got to see was a. Uh, me and my teammate Eleanor Barker, we got tickets for the final of the men's beach volleyball, which was Brazil versus Italy. So we're in this massive stadium packed with a load of Brazilians, just like, uh, and it's, 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 well, it's the first time I've been to see beach volleyball and it's a party. Like they've got, they've got different dance moves for um, different points one. Um, and uh, like you all sing along and shit. it's, it was, no, it was insane. It was like no sporting event that I've ever been to. Um, oh, actually, I guess a bit like London six day. That was a, a new party experience for me as well but um the uh the crowd were i guess as the press let on um but yeah super pro brazilian but uh because we weren't brazilian i felt like just somebody had to support the italians but i just didn't <laughs> want to get lynched like <laughs> honestly it was so tense <laughs> i've never seen it's just to see a crowd flip from such high emotion to such anger if the if the yeah if the italians had the the goal to score a point it was yeah it was it was really weird really yeah weird. we we had the um olympic champion phil dalhauser he's the the current episode of the best in the world going out now he, he won it in 2008 and he competed at the 2016 games and he lost in one of the earlier rounds to the eventual brazilian winners and he said the whole time he was being booed and he said it's fine it's actually quite good of the atmosphere and you know it's because the brazilians think that they invented volleyball the americans think <laughs> they invented volleyball you know obviously you were facing americans and australians and all, all kind of more traditional cycling nations now mm. what would have happened do you think if you were facing a brazilian team and would you be able to cope with the booze would you have been able to cope with some kind of atmosphere like you got in the volleyball arena yeah, no, it's weird. Um, because I've never, uh, yeah, I've never experienced anything like that. Like, uh, I guess a uh, a French crowd is quite patriotic, quite patriotic. They definitely um, but it's it, yeah, nothing near as severe. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'd I'd like to think that it would be like any other kind of race nerves that once you hear the gun go and you sort of the winds rushing past your ears, you just be sort of consumed in the the moment of effort rather than thinking about what's going on around you. But um. Yeah, the best distraction we ever had was London World Cup. So home crowd, big home support. And the the beeps are going down, say, like 10 seconds ago, five seconds ago. And somebody shouts from the crowd, like really close to us, Laura Trot's well fit. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it was that kind of way. <laughs> Where I guess like you, like you really want to give it a moment, I don't know, like either to laugh or, and no, I just had, like, just had to ignore it. <laughs> just like head down <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so... Yeah, I may would it be I guess it probably wouldn't be the same reaction to uh to negative negative applause, but um I got yeah, had a had a bit of bit of practice in zoning out. Yeah, and do when you do have such a partisan crowd supporting you, does it help in any way or do you really just lock it off whether it is negative or positive? Yeah, you're right, actually, yeah. I've never um never heard it described as partisan, but I suppose that is. Um yeah, uh, no, I don't. I just wouldn't say lock it out. I quite like what, when we walk up to the the starting gate. Um, I don't know, being able to, yeah, keep your back straight, your your head high, and uh, acknowledge that 
I guess you're, you're here to put a show on. Um, it's it's hard on a bunch race because uh, for a, a timed event, so there's a, a buzzer that goes down, a countdown that goes down. Whereas in a bunch race, you'll be holding on to the, the fence at the side of the track um, waiting for the, the starter to decide that the race is ready and he'll blow his whistle for you to all push away. But um, honestly, my, my hand will be shaking holding on to the side of it because, you, well, you don't really know. Like, it could be five minutes. It could it could be 10 seconds. It's, I guess I'm exaggerating maybe. But um, it feels like that, <laughs> that you just sort of sat in suspense thinking, are, are, we, are we going? Are we, are we ready? And, um, yeah, my stomach's definitely doing somersaults for that whereas there's I guess it's far more controllable a timed event and uh, that's what I guess that's what British cycling love we love protocol and practice and yeah focusing on the process that's that's our mantra Mm. and let's talk about the day that you became an Olympic gold medalist you broke the world record just tell us about that day how your feelings were did you do anything differently and just your sheer emotions at the end of it all to be honest, the most, um, uh, the sort of, the biggest thing that I hold on to, I suppose emotion-wise, uh, wasn't actually when we finished the race. So it was more um, whilst we were riding and having a, I guess you get these rare moments that you, you kind of tap into an effort that only comes once in a while. Um, I, I don't think it's, like I think, I've spoken to other people that I guess express it similarly, but almost just, this moment of transcendence when um, you're not aware of the fact that you're in agony and there's a, almost a disconnect between your, your head and your legs and you just know that it's working, you know, like uh, effortless is the wrong word because obviously it's, um, well, yeah, it's the, the extreme end of effort. Um, but yeah, it's, it's this nice moment. I can honestly, I can pinpoint the first time that I felt this way. If I think I was about... Um, maybe 13 years old in a, in a swimming race and it's yeah it's like floating um being at this yeah this point of perfect physical physical performance really um and I think well conveniently I think that's the the most extreme that I felt that in, in an Olympic final so um yeah cho- chose the right moment um, mm. and uh yeah I guess to have gone faster than than any women's team has ever gone before I yeah I'm really kind of pleased and proud that we came away with that as well as the Olympic medal. Um, just to kind of, after the, the last few world championship seasons that we've had of um, a bronze and a silver, um, kind of nice to be able to prove that we're not just on top on that day. Like we've, we're on top for, yeah, all that's ever been at the moment. <laughs> so yeah, I guess uh, I'm, I'm, I'm over dramatizing now, aren't I? <laughs> but <laughs> it does, yeah, it does um, sort of stick in my memory, I suppose that, that moment of crossing the finish line and uh, I guess that's when everything came crashing back in when you kind of realized it was it was all over and a new thing was beginning really this um yeah this new Olympic champion uh not pressure but experience yeah which has been quite bizarre that I can draw a line in the sand of saying uh I sort of saw myself one way before the race and you end up See, so, yeah, I almost see yourself a different way afterwards. It's it's weird how how much one competition can, uh, yeah, affect um, kind of what you expect of yourself. I think. Okay, so what what did you see yourself as before? What do you see yourself now as? Um. Well, I guess before. Yeah, before it's just aspirational bike rider. Like, we, well, 
as you say, been been world champion and, and we had been world record holders in the past. Um, <clears throat> but I knew that there was, a, well, in a team with previous Olympic champions, um, always a kind of riding on the the wider team success. And I guess there were so many Olympians around that um, there's always somebody to look up to. And so because I'd felt that way about them, knowing that, uh, sorry, the London Olympians or the Beijing Olympians, because I'd felt that way about them, um, when I myself be, became an Olympic champion, um, oh, I decided that there must be, uh, there must now be people that feel that way about me. And I don't, I don't think there are, but it just means that, um, so if I, uh, like I turned up to a training session late, um, one of my first British sessions back and um, uh, what else? And, and I got one of the efforts wrong and, I made some other kind of cock up and I just kept thinking in my head, like you're meant to be Olympic champion, like Olympic champion doesn't do this, mm. <laughs> you know? And like, I guess it's, I can, I can acknowledge it's stupid because like, I'm still just, obviously still just the same person, but I guess um, I just got really aggravated thinking like, yeah, you're, you're, like, you're meant to be this, uh, this great athlete. Like you're meant to <clears throat> be a mold of, uh, I guess you get classic situations when you're a kid of being in training situations and say, you'll see, uh, I don't know, like people will talk about Chris Hoy changes his own weights at the gym. He, he won't have the gym coach following after him, like picking up the, like unstacking the leg press and all that. Um, and it'll become an Olympic champion trait. They'll be like, oh yeah, look at that. That's, that's how an Olympic champion acts kind of thing. Um, and it's ridiculous because there's no, <laughs> there's no set guidebook for um, this is how Olympic champion acts. But I guess I ended up just at the moment, anytime, I, yeah, as I say, anytime I have a cock up. I was saying, oh, for, like, bloody hell, <laughs> that's not what Olympic champions do. Mm. And yeah, I guess worried that I'm going to get caught out, so I'm going to take the medal off me. <laughs> but yeah, I'm still still undercover. Nobody knows yet. But I guess it all goes down to routine as well, doesn't it? Like you you know what the right routine is because you've proved it to be successful by winning gold. Do you feel also part of it is not necessarily the it's you're upset with yourself but you feel now that because you are a champion people are looking up to you and that they're kind of going oh look katie's doing this we we expect her to be hitting this standard all the time is that part of it um yeah yeah to be honest but i can again like i, I feel that way but i i don't know that you'd actually find anybody that says it you know like i feel like i've maybe just created it in my head um <laughs> this this imaginary pressure the only person that says it isn't so my first race back, um, I'd had a month off the bike and then I had a week back training and on the Saturday, um, I had a race that was Manchester revolution. And I thought, you know what, it's just, it's a good way to train, just get into the race and you'll have to be tactical rather than strong. Like just give it a go kind of thing. Um, and I did all right. And I came back the next, the next day and, uh, my dad goes, Oh, isn't it embarrassing that everyone thinks that so-and-so is better than you? Um, well, I guess there's no point in hiding it. So uh, Danny Khan had won the uh, elimination scratch race. And he goes, yeah, isn't it embarrassing, you know, because like everyone will think that maybe Danny Khan should have been at the Olympics from it, like kind of thing. And I was like, no, like you're the only one that's thinking this and maybe he's not. <laughs> but <laughs> it's just annoying that, that that person's at home telling me, <laughs> you know, like saying, oh, aren't you aren't you very ashamed that you're not winning everything? Um and I think I'm almost glad, glad to have had some losses or to have um, had that loss anyway, um, because, well, it's horrible to have so much pressure that you don't turn up to race because all, like you're only allowed to win. Um, like I think Laura gets stuck in that situation sometimes because Laura Trott wins everything. If she if she's third or if she's seventh or whatever, it's um, it's not the 
person that won the race that gets remarked upon. It's the fact that Laura that Laura didn't win the race that gets remarked upon. Um, and I guess yeah, I don't envy her that situation. Um, I think it's yeah, it's almost uh, sort of healthy for your head if you can if you can throw in the odd loss, <laughs> mm. uh, which I guess because that's that's how training works. Like you've you've got to be suppressed, and sometimes you still need the race experience. Um, but focus on the fact that um, like your taper comes up uh in in a month's time or it comes up for for nationals or um for a world cup or whatever and i guess that i'm saying this because like it it worked out for me so far and that i did come around for europeans and i did come around for glasgow world cup and obviously now it's going backwards but um yeah it's it's turning up to the the lesser races getting a kicking and i guess accepting it after becoming an Olympic champion, where, where what is the motivation? Like, is it the fact that you've got one gold, you want more? Is it the fact that you've now set these levels and you, you a bit like you were saying about Laura there, that you want to keep hitting that standard of being, I am the standard bearer, I want to keep winning golds, I want to be that level. Is it that you want to reach that, you know, almost moment of transcendence, you said? It, like, is it that addiction of being in that position once again? Um, or is it just the sheer love of cycling? Like, where where does the motivation come from now, and, and what are the goals as well? I guess for me, so um, <clears throat> uh, so at the Olympics in a team event, so it was a team of four of us, um, and uh, I put everything in my training in, into that one event. So I've not been training for bunch racing. I've not been training for individual pursuiting. Um, everything's been about team pursuit. So it it's almost. Um, the success has almost opened a door for me that I can now a bit have a bit of freedom um, to to be racing omniums, to be doing individual pursuits, to be turning up to um, to things like the six days and and uh, yeah, just do a lot more racing. Like the the Olympics was my second race of 2016, and in August, so because I had that injury, um, and then because we end up not wrapped in cotton wool, but just really focused on on the Olympics, um, I, I missed basically a whole whole season of racing um, so uh i guess it's quite lucky that i've i've got that craving um to have almost what i see as a, a new motivation to kind of get my teeth stuck into this season um obviously still still track cycling um but i've actually i guess taken a step away from team pursuit and what we're doing at the olympics uh so i guess for for another athlete um that what they do at the olympics is uh so like I guess I don't know the guy, but maybe Greg Rutherford. Um, so you go and have a successful Olympic Games. Um, it's probably not like he can then be like, oh, well, I'll just focus on high jump this season because he's a long jumper, isn't he? As I guess the benefit um, benefit for us is that I'm a team pursuiter, but I can say, oh, I'll just I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on Madison this season. And um, yeah, I guess that that makes everything just a whole lot easier. And even in the summer, I can say, well, I'm going to be doing a lot more road racing. Like, um, oh, just cycling's just the best. Just we get to do everything. I tell you, specifically <laughs> <laughs> track cycling, because <laughs> uh, well, I end up, well, I end up in the gym or on the turbo and on the track and out on the road, and there's just all all sorts to to be getting up to. So, yeah, I guess I I love my sport, and that's that's what motivates me. Mm. And have you ever thought about what might happen after cycling? I know you, you said about maybe giving back and doing some coaching. Have you thought about anything else other than cycling? Or do you think you'll always be with the sport? Mm. It's the kind of thing that you swing in and out of. So I love the idea of coaching. I love the idea of obsessing over a, over a program and 
having like this really dedicated protege that's going to uh, <laughs> that's going to listen to my every word um but then other days you think I just want out of this world like I can't I can't deal with the stress I can't deal with the the relationships I just like I'm getting out as soon as I can kind of thing and those those are sort of few and far between um but I guess it, yeah it would be sensible to uh to make plans if I get kicked off tomorrow um so that's a kicked off the, the British program tomorrow um but I, I haven't um, <laughs> I don't know whether I'd maybe uh ever think about going to university because uh I well I um gave up my place at uni uh, to to go full-time instead so I feel a bit self-conscious about it sometimes really like um maybe can't hold your own in conversations that I guess you're just missing this experience that um all my friends seem to have and I guess this way of learning or this higher education that I don't know. I'm going to get uh, caught out for it at some point. Um, well, I, <laughs> so, I've, uh, I've I've got a degree, and I, I can't get into many conversations. So don't worry about that. All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, what would you have studied had you taken your place? Ah, uh, see, this is why I should never say. Um, I was meant to be studying French, and I hate to admit it because uh, people assume that you can speak French, and I guess there would have been a point in time where I could have held up a shaky conversation. Um, but. I'm now back to, so that was um, four years ago. So I'm now back to tourist mode of can order coffee and all that stuff. But um, yeah, it would take a lot of work to get me back up to uh, any kind of university entry level, <laughs> I'm afraid. Do you think it would be French you would do if you did decide to go to university or would you pick something else? Mm, no, no way. Well, what I wanted to do, um, I wanted to apply for um, English literature and philosophy as a, as a, a joint honours, but I decided that I wasn't, sort of a great enough mind um to, to sort of make it in acad- as an academic um and I guess if you're not going to do that then it's what's well, obviously not a vocational degree is it so I I uh I guess I like languages so that's how I ended up thinking if I study French then there's yeah there's lots of um doors that that could open and I was I'd done a I'd done higher Spanish as a, a crash course for a year um and that one I hate to admit because because it all went in in a year oh god it all went out in like a month um I'm pretty good at sort of yeah cramming for exams I'm one of those yeah I'm one of those arseholes that um, <laughs> that isn't isn't smart at all and then still still gets bloody A's and you just want to kick him in the teeth um but well, um you, you say you say that uh, though but do you not think there are some of the transferable skills because look you've reached the top level in sport you've become an Olympic gold medalist you know about routine you know about organization you know about where to improve and how to improve surely you must be able to take those skills into a more academic field for me I I wouldn't see any reason why you couldn't do that does that make sense yeah yeah I guess yeah yeah hopefully yeah um and I guess the uh well I guess the pain is that if um if I did want to do a degree I definitely see it being um arts not science uh whereas I'm I'm pretty sure, like at the moment, I think all of our coaches do actually have degrees, like even though they're ex-riders, um, like Paul Manning's got a degree in geology, I think. I think Chris Newton's sports, uh, maybe sports science, actually. But um, yeah, I don't, but I, like they never make out like it's a, like it is a prerequisite to become a coach. I think they're all sort of employed on the basis of being, um, yeah, being Olympic champions themselves and, and kind of having that lodge. But um yeah, I guess maybe maybe one day <laughs> maybe one day I got a bit more confidence in in sort of uh, in my head rather than my legs. We'll see. 
Yeah, well, we'll have to see. Well, we look forward to following your journey, Katie. It's been so interesting to talk to you today. If we want to continue to learn from you and see what you're up to and everything like that, how can we do that on social media, please? Uh, right, okay. Um, I'm on Twitter. It's uh, underscore Katie Archibald. Um, oh, I just set up a Facebook page. Oh, this is brilliant timing. Because um, it's like it's just my family that's liked it so far. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm just Katie Archibald. Um, and I think the Facebook's facebook.com slash Katie Archibald Cyclist. Um, I also run a blog, but I've not updated it in a while. But there's a lot of stuff on there anyway. And it's called, um, what's well, blogspot.bikesandbobs. Oh, no, sorry. Bikesandbobs.blogspot. You can tell that I've never advertised it. People just find it. <laughs> I, 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 I found it. I didn't get enough time to oh, read yeah? it. But uh, the um, the main headline is is certainly got my attention. Oh, good. Okay, good. Um, there we go. Worth uh, a read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it says, in fact, I might have it right here. Um, where is it? Uh, there we go. If you read all the way to the bottom, you get to read the word vagina incentive. Yeah, that's the most recent article. Have a have a browse, some top tips in there. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, it's not usually uh, super useful for cycling. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're interested, I'm sure we will be well. It's been really interesting to talk to you today. Really appreciate your time, Katie Archibald. Thank you for being on the show, and thank you for being the best in the world. Oh, thanks for having me. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Great stuff there from Katie. Really enjoyed that interview. If you are a cycling fan, this wasn't our first ever cycling interview. That was actually all the way back at episode four. Andy Tennant was on the show Really good chat with him. Go back and listen to that. And maybe you want to go back and listen to some of our other amazing world and Olympic champions that I've had the pleasure of interviewing. Maybe you want to listen to my interview with Darren Campbell, perhaps. Maybe you want to listen to the one with the hockey champion, Maddie Hinch. Maybe you want to listen to my interview with Chester Williams, the rugby star. So many fantastic interviews, all on the best in the world. This is episode 48, so there's 47 previous shows go back and listen to them if you've got any feedback you'd like to give me you can always send me a message on twitter it's at richard underscore par we're also on facebook which is best in the world with richard par and all of the back catalogue is also available for you at richardpar.net And if you've been listening to this on iTunes, I've got a request for you. Please give us a rating and review. That would really matter a lot to us. It would help grow our show in many, many different ways. Would really appreciate that. I've got another amazing guest for you next week on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. We come out every Wednesday on iTunes and on Stitcher. It's going to be another cracking episode. It'll be episode 49 where we will be learning more from the very best in sports. Until then, have a great week. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hold up. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.